except that oftentimes when we experience problems in our lives, we get rejected, we feel sad or depressed about something, we get angry, we stop, we turn our attention inward to try to come up with a solution, but we don't come up with one. We end up spinning instead. We worry, we ruminate, we catastrophize. Oh my God, what if? Um, getting stuck in that negative cycle of thinking and feeling, perseverating on something over and over again, that's what chatter is about. When it's about the past, we call that rumination. When it's about the future, we call that worry. But the common theme is you're turning over in your head that same experience over and over again, trying to find a solution, but not coming up with one. Welcome to the Win at Life podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can break free from restrictive diets and build a body and life you love. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and your host for this episode. Today, I'm joined by Ethan Cross, acclaimed psychologist and author of the book, Chatter. Now, how many times has the voice in your head led you down a rabbit hole of negative self-talk? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. I'll fail. I'm fat. I hate my body. I've definitely had times where I've doubted myself, times when the negative voices have crept in and taken over my thoughts completely. These silent conversations are so powerful. They affect our mood, how we feel about ourselves. They stop us from taking action and they can affect our health. I just love the book chatter so much. I thought I'd get Ethan on the podcast to talk more about these inner voices and share some of the tools you can use to harness them so you can be happier, healthier, and more productive. In the show, he covers what is chatter, managing chatter, rituals to manage those voices, success and mindset, using language to change your mindset, how it takes practice to overcome the negative self-talk, controlling a thought versus dealing with thoughts that pop up in your head, and much more. So if you're a woman who struggles with negative self-talk, you'll absolutely love this podcast and get so much out of it. Now, don't forget about our monthly podcast competition. Once you've finished listening to this episode, take a screenshot and share it on Instagram stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D and share what you loved most about the episode. Each month, I'll pick a winner and they'll get a tub of Saturay Premium Collagen valued at $79. Let's get into it. Hi, Ethan. Uh, welcome to the Win at Life. Win at Life. Blah, blah, blah. Good start. <laughs> Thanks so much for um, coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I always look forward to, to speaking with folks um, on the other side of the planet. Well, I really um, love your book. I think it is incredible, Chatter, because... Uh, and, you know, if, if you listen to this, the ladies will know, I'm sure probably some men listen to this, but we really help mostly women. Um, uh, you know, if, you, if you're listening to this, you'll probably have experienced those voices in your head. <laughs> and Ethan and I were just chatting, chatting about it. And what I really love about his book is there's just so much great practical stuff in there of like how to actually, you know, move away from those voices and not let them spiral. And I think, you know, what you said before, part of it is just actually being conscious of what you're doing. And even since reading your book, I've actually gone back to it a number of times and stopped myself, um, you know, and I think people might look at me sometimes and think, oh, Kitty's just got it all together, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty action-orientated and even regardless of what the voices tell me, sometimes I'll still do it anyway. But this has really been an invaluable tool, I think, for me, if I find that happening to really stop myself and step back 
Um, or if I'm like we talked about unloading, say to Craig is stopping myself because it's not actually really serving me. And I think so many women in our program who listen to this, you know, they're trying to improve their health. They're trying to improve, um, their body. So they're trying to lose body fat and the voices really stop them from making progress and getting to where they want to be. So maybe to start with, cause I love in your book, how you, cause I love stories, you know, I love how you really talk about your own story. Um, do you want to start there perhaps? Yeah, sure. So, um, about 10 years ago, I had been studying, um, chatter for quite some time and in particular how people can manage it. And, Actually, um, Ethan, so sorry, before you go on, can you just explain what chatter is? Yeah, I was just going yeah. to give you the definition. So, so, you know, what chatter refers to is the following. When, when we experience negative events in our lives, we're often motivated to make sense and work through them, like figure out a solution so we can move on. Kitty, you describe yourself as action-oriented, right? You identify a problem, you come up with a strategy, you implement, and life proceeds. Except that oftentimes when we experience problems in our lives. We get rejected. We feel sad or depressed about something. We get angry. We stop. We turn our attention inward to try to come up with a solution, but we don't come up with one. We end up spinning instead. We worry. We ruminate. We catastrophize. Oh my God, what if? Um, Getting stuck in that negative cycle of thinking and feeling, perseverating on something over and over again, that's what chatter is about. When it's about the past, we call that rumination. When it's about the future, we call that worry. But the common theme is you're turning over in your head that same experience over and over again, trying to find a solution, but not coming up with one. And um, I, I've always been pretty good at managing chatter. And then about 10 years ago, I had an, a chatter experience, which was uh, my, my colleagues and I had published an article that got a lot of attention in the media. And I I went on the evening news and it was very exciting. And a couple of days later, I got a letter in the mail that was a threatening letter containing all sorts of really ugly kinds of uh, racial slurs and drawings and threats and just not something you ever really want to see. And it was the kind of letter that when I showed to a colleague and, and a couple of supervisors, they instantly recommended that I go to the police station to get advice on what to do, which I did spoke to an officer who wasn't particularly reassuring after reading the letter. He looked at me and said, um, what do you say? He said, yeah, these, you know, people in the public eye often get things like this. Usually it's nothing. And uh, just to be sure, maybe you want to drive home a different way from work each day for the next couple of weeks. At which point I explained to him that that might be difficult given that I lived at the time about four blocks from my office. (laughs) You know, there weren't that many combinations of routes home I could take. And, um, and so his advice wasn't particularly comforting. And I went home that day and I started experiencing chatter. Um, you know, what have I done? I've got a newborn kid, my wife, I put them in danger. Why did I have to do the interview? How am I going to get out of this mess? And I was, you know, for two, two or three nights, I was really spinning. I wasn't eating well. I kept on talking about the threat with my wife over and over again. Nothing she could say made me feel better. And so it was really an uncomfortable experience um, that gave me insight into the phenomenon that I'd spent so many years studying. Eventually, I was able to pull myself out of it using a couple of the uh, tools I talk about in the book. Uh, One thing I did is something called distant self-talk. I basically stepped back and tried to 
advise myself through the situation like I would give advice to someone else. And I actually use language to help me do it. So I use my own name. I said, Ethan, come on, you got to get your act together now. What, what are you doing here? And, and that really helped me. And, and we went on to do a lot of experiments showing the, the value of distant self-talk, how that can be a really powerful tool for helping people manage chatter. That's like, can that, I just jump in quickly and just yeah, say please. that? So, so funny that you say that because, and I think sometimes I think, oh, if imagine if people could hear me speaking to myself because I do the same thing. Like if I find myself spiraling, I'll be like, Kitty, stop, stop. And I'll like speak to myself and, you know, like I'm at the third, the third yeah. person. I, and I s- sort of think, oh, it sounds a bit crazy, but you, it really actually does work. Well, what's, what's, so it does work. And just to break it down for people who are listening, the way it works is this. We know from lots of research that we are much better at giving advice to other people than we are taking our own advice. And what we've, we've also learned is that language provides us with a tool to help us think about ourselves, to help us advise ourselves, like we were communicating with another person. Think about when we use names and second person pronouns like you. Most of the time we use names, we use them when we're thinking about and referring to other people. This is, these are the language of others' names. And so the idea is that when you use your own name, it automatically switches your perspective. In your brain, it's turning on circuitry involved in thinking about other people. And that allows us to be a lot more objective and it allows us to give ourselves better advice. And, and, um, and so that happened to me in that situation. And, and that's what we see in the lab. What, just one, one other point on this technique that I find so fascinating is a lot of people seem to stumble on this tool without really understanding why, or, and sometimes unknowingly. So you, you said yourself, Kitty, that you often do this. I'm guessing you did it before your red chatter. Yeah. Um, and, and there are lots of examples of this throughout history. So Julius Caesar uh, was known for doing this. He wrote a whole book in the third person about his conquests. The, the American statesman, Henry Adams did it in more contemporary times. Uh, the arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time, LeBron James. How popular is the NBA down by you? Eh? Or? Oh, well, Craig loves it. Okay. <laughs> he but loves it. So I don't really follow that much sport, right. but I would say it's pretty popular in Australia. It's pretty yeah. pop- so people yeah. will know who LeBron James is. Yeah. You know, they LeBron will. James and all sorts of people, you see them doing it. And what the science tells us, I think the value of the science is it tells us that this isn't some quirk. It's not something that people who maybe are somewhat out of touch with reality or people who are narcissistic do. This is an emotion regulatory tool. It's a chatter control tool. Mm -hmm. And knowing that I think can be really empowering because it can allow us to be a lot more deliberate about using that tool in our own lives. So we don't have to wait to just kind of stumble on using that technique to feel better. The next time you find yourself experiencing chatter, if you want, you can instantly say, all right, Ethan, what are we going to do here? And, and, you know, use your name, obviously not Ethan, uh, <laughs> but, but I, 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 I do this quite a bit. And so that's just one example of a science-based tool, you know, of 26 or so tools that I talk about in my book, Chatter. Um, there are lots of tools out there that we can use to help. Is it, I, I, um, Another thing I, I just noticed, I thought that I would do too in my own training is, you know, like we, we promote strength training 
and I love heavy strength training. And obviously as the weights get heavier, it's harder. And, you know, like you're trying to gradually increase, you know, add reps or add weight. So it's pretty hard. Some of the sets and I'll often speak to myself like before going up to the set to just calm myself and be focused. And I love how you're talking. The book. Was it Federer that you were talking about? Um, yeah. 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 How his little, the little things that he does is yeah. just a way for him to, you know, get his head in the game and, um, you know, like the hair before he does a yeah. set and the drink bottles and. Yeah. Yeah. Federer is so, you know, um, Sir Roger Federer, one of the greatest tennis players of all time. And he did an interview uh, several years ago in which a journalist, I believe it was a journalist, asked him, what's the hardest thing you struggle to do on the court? And his answer on the one hand makes total sense, but on the other, it's really just astounding because mm. here you have a guy who's competing against the best athletes on the planet, many of whom at this point are half his age and have been bred to beat him, right? <laughs> so he has like the ultimate, the ultimate athletic challenge. What did he answer when this journalist asked him this question? He didn't say, oh, the hardest thing I struggle to do is return my opponent's backhand or maintain my endurance. He said, the hardest thing I struggle to do on the court is manage the voices inside my head. And what he's talking about there isn't voices in some psychiatric way. You know, he's talking about the chatter. He's talking about the mind game and how he can not take himself out of the match through his own worries and ruminations. And what he, what he, the tool that he reverts to is um, he engages in rituals, which are, I like to think of them as like a kind of non-alcoholic chatter fighting cocktail. <laughs> and the reason I say that is rituals uh, can help us in a lot of different ways. So what a ritual is, a ritual is a rigid structured behavior. It's something you do the same way every single time. And it can help us manage chatter in a few different ways. One thing is often rituals are pretty elaborate. So Rafael Nadal, he has these crazy rituals before you know, before every serve, he'll like twirl his hair, he'll pick his shorts out of his butt, he'll bounce the racket a few times and do a bunch of other things. And he always does it the same way each time. And that requires focus. And so that can divert your attention away from the chatter. It can be a little bit distracting in a good way. Uh, rituals also, because they're so sequenced, highly structured, they can provide us with a sense of order and control. One of the things that people often report is that when they're experiencing chatter, they feel like they don't have control of their thoughts. Their thoughts are controlling them. They're out of order. And so what we've learned is that you can regain a sense of control by, by exerting order on things around you, by like tidying up your space, by organizing. This is one of the reasons why so many people, when they're stressed out, reflexively turn to creating order in their own environment. Even messy people like myself, whenever I experience chatter, like you, Kitty, your listeners won't be able to see my office, but, but you can. You know, I'm actually not that filled with chatter right now. So I've got papers all over the place, pens, you know, like, but when I'm in a chatter state, my office is pristine. And so rituals can help us in that sense too, because they're so ordered, they provide us a, with a sense of control that can be useful. The other thing that a ritual does is um, rituals often have meaning. They connect us with, with a, something um, that transcends our own sense of self. Like so often rituals are transmitted to us through our culture, religion, mm -hmm. and they connect us with a greater um, force. 
And, and when we're, when we connect with something greater than ourselves, like this is not about me, this is about my culture, my religion, or this is the way I live my life by doing these rituals um, that can make our own, our like our individual concerns feel less significant and smaller because you're mm. thinking about something much greater. So that's another thing you could do to manage chatter rituals. Um, mm. You can of course take them to an extreme and I wouldn't recommend doing that. But, uh, but certainly in small doses, rituals like many of the other tools I talk about can be really helpful. Yeah, I think, you know, and always trying to bring it back to the women who listen to this and in our program. And um, I do these like fortnightly calls with Carol. She's a psychotherapist. And we just talk to women, you know, about things that they're struggling with, you know, mindset sort of stuff. And it's really interesting because Craig and I will often, when like, we talk about our clients all the time and our program, and obviously our main goal is to try and, help as many women as we can successfully reach their, you know, health. And I guess you'd call it body composition because they're trying to increase muscle and lose body fat. And really, you know, if I look at the women who've been successful in achieving their goals, so much of it comes back to this, you know, like I was talking, we've got these women, we call them big sisters. And basically they've been in our program for two plus years. They've, you know, overcome their own health goals they've achieved their body composition goals so they're like leaders in our program often they'll get on and they'll talk about their journeys and um one lady Anna and she's had an incredible transformation she's come off antidepressants 20 years of alcohol hasn't had a drop of alcohol since you know Mm. she went through a divorce um she's quite incredible incredible body composition change but I think the mindset side of it's more impressive but she talked about when she first joined the program, because when women join our program, they need to learn all these new skills. So they're learning how to become better lifters. They're learning how to meal plan. They're learning how to get more organized about nutrition. And it is overwhelming. And, you know, she talked about when she first started, she would load her videos up and she would get feedback and she would cry. And then all the voices in her head would start to tell her that she can't do it, that she's not good enough. And I think that so many women struggle with this, but the ones that I see, like get to where they want to be is that they can overcome this chatter like you talked about. Yeah. And I just feel like I feel like the nutrition and training is the easy bit. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if you follow the training program, if you eat the food, if you hit the macros, if you, you know, do it consistently, you'll get the result. But it's can you do it consistently? And it's really is it's these voices telling women, I can't, you can't, in their head they'll be like, you can't do this, you're not good enough, you don't deserve it. And this chatter starts to come in and they get so overwhelmed and then they're like, fuck yeah. it. And they throw, yeah. throw in the towel. So I just love this, yeah. this so much. Well, you know, it's, it's all near and dear to my heart. My wife is actually a nutritionist. So, mm. um, you know, we, we talk about these issues quite a bit. And, mm. it, and often, you know, when, when she's, when we're talking about clients, um, you know, she says the same thing. It often goes back to to the mind and the ability to to manage these kinds of temptations and these voices. And I want to, you know, say, want to clarify one thing for, for people who are listening about the voices in our head and chatter and how those things relate. Because I think it's, you know, in modern culture, it's easy to think about, oh, you hear voices. Um, does that mean you're crazy? Uh, like in a psychiatric uh, case. So, um it's funny, actually, when I give talks on this, and if I ever said, you ever talk to yourself, you ever hear a voice in your head, and, and, and half of the room, like, puts their hand up, like, yes, thank God, you know, I'm not alone, and then the <laughs> half of the room, like, uh, I don't think so, and so then I'll do a little exercise, and I'll ask people, I'll, I'll tell them a number, like, 209, and then I'll ask people, can you repeat that in your head silently, 
And sure enough, everyone repeats it and everyone in the audience nods their head. Yes, they can. And I say, congratulations, you've just met the voice inside your head. So the, the, when we, we use the term voice inside our head, what we're really talking about is, is language and using language silently. Language is a remarkable tool that we possess. It's something that allows us to do many different things. So we use language to keep information active in our mind, like I just I just, that example I just gave you, we can use language to coach ourselves along, like, come on, Ethan, or come on, I can do it, you could do it, like we often do when we're working on hard tasks. We use language to plan and simulate for the future. So, all right, what am I going to say when I'm in that tough situation or in in the current context? Maybe it's like, all right, how am I going to deal with this when, when I go to the restaurant and they come with this kind of, you know, temptation? How am I going to say no to maintain my goals? So we can simulate how we're going to act and respond using language in our head. And of course, we use language to to make stories about our lives. Like when we experience events that we don't understand, we often try to create stories like this is why I behave that way. And this is why this person said that language helps us do that. Mm -hmm. So those are all the remarkable functions and benefits that language provides but it can also get us into trouble. Chatter is when language gets us into trouble. And that's what, we, that's what I mean when I use those voices in our head that, that can be upsetting. That's when we're trying to use language to get ourselves out of a mess. How can I lose more weight? How can I follow through with my goals? But rather than come up with those solutions, we get just zoomed in on how shitty we feel or how un- insurmountable the the, 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 you know, objectives are. And, you know, next thing we know, we're eating cookies and cake and other things we shouldn't be eating. And then look, you know, that may have been true of me at some point. So um, uh, I think too, you know, like, because I always try to really share stories about myself because I still struggle with things that, like with terms of the training nutrition, I'm pretty sweet now. Like it's just ingrained in me and we just do it. And it's just how I am. But last year, Craig and I decided we've never really wanted to have kids. And then, you know, Corona hit, and I don't know, maybe I had, because I'm 40 now, and I had a bit of a midlife, not so really midlife, maybe 50s midlife, but midlife crisis going, you know, maybe there's more than this. Maybe, you know, maybe I want to have a baby. And then we decided we were going to do it. We were in and we were out. We were in and we were out. And I sort of got a bit frustrated towards the end of the year, starting to, you know, we we found the trying process hard as well. Like just, I mean, it sounds crazy, but trying to have sex all the time, like it really, because we live together and work together. And I've talked about this, right. but... But, um, you know, I got into this really negative, which is really unlike me. Like make, I'm it not- work, work, make it work like. Yeah, yeah. And I got into this really negative headspace, which is so unlike me. Like I'm a very positive, like action orientated, but it was the chatter that got to me. And I started to listen and believe what I was telling myself that you can't do this. You're too old. You know, it's never going to happen. And like, mm-hmm. I'm only going to be happy if I have a baby. And I had a couple of really good conversations with some friends of mine and then I was like, okay, right, Kitty, like enough is enough. You know, you need to start telling yourself better stories. So I am happy. I am happy. I've always been happy. Whether or not I have a baby, you know, focus on the things I can control, which is how I eat, lowering stress, you know, I put on some body fat, um, talk to Craig more. And then so from there I felt a lot better And any time that I've felt myself because occasionally the little voices will come back in and I'm like, stop, remember focus on what you control, you know, and I think it really does take discipline and practice because I think it's unreasonable to ever think that you're never going to have those thoughts again. But if you can, yeah. you know, if I've ever noticed myself slipping back, I'll really stop myself and just 
you know, like you say, <clears throat> bets better language, using better language and telling yourself better stories. So I think whatever story you tell yourself, you're going to find evidence to support it always, whether it's bad or whether it's good. Right. So you might as well tell a good one. Well, you know, I think, you know, one distinction that, that listeners may find useful um, and that I personally find useful is, um, you know, the difference between controlling whether you experience a thought or once a thought pops into your head, how do you deal with it? Mm. Um, if your goal is to like control what thoughts are going to pop up into your head, that's a really high bar you're setting for success, right? Because we can't always control what we're, what we're going to think. We, you know, I've been studying this stuff for 20 years and lots of other people have been studying for way longer than me. We still don't quite understand how thoughts originate in the mind. So, you know, maybe I'm going to experience a temptation here or a dark thought there. I can't control what's going to come up. But what I can do is I can control how I act on that thought, whether I elaborate on it, whether I let it get me down or not, whether I succumb to chatter eventually. Mm. And so I think just recognize, like giving yourself a break, if you do experience a thought that you're not proud of, that's important. Hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to quickly jump in and talk about this awesome food prep bag I found a few weeks ago. So I always get questions from clients about what to do for food when they travel. Now, in the past, whenever Craig and I have traveled, we've always lugged around these bloody ugly and bulky cooler bags, but not anymore. Malami have completely reinvented meal prep bags as you know them. They're functional, innovative, and fashionable, and they're not bulky. So I bought the Meal Management Pro Bag, which fits a full day's worth of food prep, as well as has space for my laptop, wallet, and more. And it looks just like an awesome black leather handbag. They have a huge range with different designs to suit all occasions, and you can use discount code KITTY10 for 10% off. I'll pop a link in the show notes so you can check them out. Let's get back to the podcast. And I think it, it really makes the whole challenge of controlling yourself in your mind a lot more doable to say, I'm not going to concern myself with, you know, making sure I always have blissfully positive thoughts circulating mm -hmm. in my head. But what I am going to do is I'm going to make a commitment that when I experience thoughts that start morphing into chatter, I'm not going to let that chatter get the best of me and start ruining my life, which is what we know chatter can in fact do. And that's not being overly dramatic. I mean, we know that chatter is experienced chronically, makes it hard for us to think and perform well at work. It creates friction in our relationships and it can undermine our physical health. So the stakes are pretty high. And, you know, the good news is, is that if you have a commitment to managing chatter, mm -hmm. there is scientific tools you can use to, to do it effectively. hundred mm, percent. You're right. Cause it's like, you're always going to have those thoughts always. Yeah. But it's you whether know, or not you, maybe, maybe, what you do. Day, yeah. Maybe some people have them less than others, but who cares? Because you've not, you know, uh, if you can't control it, then trying to do so is a losing battle. And I think mm. that's something that is really important to understand. If you have no control of the situation and you can't, you know, if you can't control it, then why bother doing it? Instead, put your effort towards something you can control. And, and chatter is exactly that. You can control the chatter. I think too, I just want to go back to what you said about, and I think this is important because I think some people might listen to me and go, oh, because I think what I used to not be good at was acknowledging the feeling. 
because I think, like you say, you have the thought, just as an example, might have the thought about wanting to fall pregnant, not falling pregnant yet, feeling sad about it. That's of course okay. You know, like it's acknowledge the feeling, feel the sadness, but then like you say, don't let it spiral into, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. This is never going to happen. You know, I think like you say, it's have the thoughts, acknowledge them, perhaps whatever feelings coming along with it, acknowledge that feeling because you're human, you know, Um, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel disappointed, but you can obviously then take it, you know, like you say, let the chatter get away with you and feel even more terrible. And yeah, well, uh, it's not only, it's not only okay to feel sad or anxious or angry. I would argue it's actually a good thing to be able to experience um, those emotions in small doses. So Mm. one thing that I think often gets lost and look, feeling positive emotions feels good. So it makes sense that you'd want to feel positive most of the time or all the time. But I think an important point to keep in mind is that we evolved as a species, this capacity to experience negative emotions for a reason, because those negative emotions are really helpful. They can, if we experience them in small doses. So I tell a story in a book about, it's a terrible, I mean, it's a good story. It's a sad story though, um, about, kids who are born into the world with a mutation that makes it impossible for them to experience pain, negative state. What ends up happening to these kids is they end up dying at a very young age because when they put their hand accidentally in the stove, you know, or on the fire, they don't know to pull it away because there's no cue that tells them to pull it back. If they scratch their arms after getting like a mosquito bite, they don't know when to stop scratching right? Because it's just itchy, right? They can feel itchy, but not the pain. So they end up like bleeding, their, their wounds get infected. And so the same is true for other negative emotions. Like I've got, a, I've got a big presentation coming up later this week. Haven't prepared for it yet. But today I got a small jolt of anxiety, which said, oh, okay, I, that's coming up. I haven't started working. And guess what? That anxiety gives me information. It says, all right, Ethan, time to start working on it. If I didn't experience that jolt of anxiety, I wouldn't prepare. And then I wouldn't do as good of a job that I will do because I will prepare. So, so negative emotions in small doses are not something you want to get rid of. I wouldn't wish a life free of negative emotion on my worst enemy because they wouldn't do as they, you know, it just, well, maybe my worst enemy, but on my <laughs> friends. Okay. Because they wouldn't succeed in this world. And so, um, so that's the challenge is not to rid ourselves of negative emotions. It's specifically to get what, when the negative emotions start spiraling and mm. starts spiraling our lives, that's chatter. And that is something we want to get rid of. hundred mm, percent. Um, I really, and then maybe we could move on to this now is talking about, and I like this, how, you know, you talk about unloading, like just going and unloading and it really sort of hit a. Uh, hit a, uh, it, I guess I can really relate to it because I talked about Craig and I, and sometimes, you know, we'll have these conversations about things and, but there's n- no resolving it or stepping back or any perspective. It's just, you're basically having a rant, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I really, can you talk about that? Yeah, this is, I think, you know, an important message from the book deals with um, other people. And I think I, I titled this chow this Chower. Chower is not the <laughs> name of anything. <clears throat> it's been a long day here. Um, 
this chapter, uh, the power and peril of other people. Other people can be an amazingly helpful tool when it comes to our chatter, but they can also be a liability and an un unintentional liability. So many of us, when we experience chatter, we're intensely motivated to share it with others, to talk to other people about what's going through our heads. And this is a message that, you know, we're often told to do this from a very young age, don't hold it inside, let it out. Research shows that unloading, um, venting our emotions, that doesn't help us when it comes to our chatter. What it does help us do is, is feel really close and connected to the person we're communicating with. So Kitty, you and I are buddies now, let's say, uh, I'm experiencing a, a bit of chatter. I call you up and I start telling you what happened at work and how I can't believe it. And they did this and I felt this way. And you're a really empathic friend. And so you keep on asking me more questions. Really? Oh my God, that must've felt awful. What, what did you do next? And so you're validating my feelings. You're connecting with me. This is great for our relationship, right? You and I are getting closer and closer, more connected. But if all we do is talk about what, what we feel, what I feel, what happened, that doesn't do anything to help me reframe the way I'm thinking about this problem. It doesn't help me step back and see the bigger picture, which we know is so useful for managing chatter. When we experience chatter, we get zoomed in on the problem. All we could think about is very narrowly what's bothering us and how we feel about it. We can't often step back to think about where we don't step back to think about the bigger picture and alternative ways of making sense of the issue that often lead us to feel better. And so if we're just venting, we don't go big, we don't go broad. And as a result, we leave that conversation feeling really good about our relationship, but ruminating sometimes even more. And studies show that, that this phenomenon, it's technically called co-rumination, it actually predicts the worst outcomes over time higher levels of anxiety, higher levels of depression. So, so what do you do? Um, you certainly still wanna to talk to other people, but there's really a two-step process to getting good, good support for your chatter. The first part is you do wanna share what happened to you and what you felt to some degree. It is important to express your emotions and, and fill the other person you're talking to in on what you went through. But at a certain point in the conversation, ideally the person you're speaking with starts nudging you to think about that bigger picture, to go broader. So Katie, if you came to me with a problem, I'd hear, I'd listen to you. At some point I would, I would start asking you questions like, um, oh, that sounds terrible. So how have you dealt with that kind of thing in the past? Have you ever come up with a good solution for managing a situation like that? Or, well, that does sound terrible, but look, you know, the good news is it happened, it's over. A week from now, you're going to feel really better. Or, you know, here's what I've been in a similar situation. Here's how I've dealt with it. So what I'm doing there is I'm validating your experience. I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm, I'm connecting empathically, but I'm nudging you to try to reframe how you're thinking about the event. And that two-step process of listening, but then also trying to nudge people to zoom out, that's the, that's the formula for, for getting good chatter support. And I think knowing about that um, can be really useful in two ways. Number one, it can help people be more deliberate about who they seek support from. So knowing about how this works leads me to go to some people for help. So I think of them as my chatter advisors. Um, those people are not necessarily the people I'm closest to. 
Um, you know, there are lots of people who I'm, who I love a lot and love me. I don't go to them for support with my chatter because they just get me to ruminate more and it doesn't actually help. So, but, but I do have a few chatter advisors when it comes to my personal life and others that I go to in my professional life. I like to think about this as almost like having a board of advisors, you know, companies have boards of advisors that are responsible for steering that company to success. And when problems happen, you bring it to the board and they give you counsel. I think we'd all benefit from having our own board of advisors when it comes to our chatter. Um, so that's what a person can, that's how a person can use this information to get support in their own life. The flip side is you can use this information to be better chatter advisors to others. So if someone comes to you with a problem, learn about what they're going through, learn about their situation, but at the appropriate time, and sometimes you may want to ask the person, Hey, you know, I, I hear you. Can I, can I offer you a, some advice about here's how I would manage it or, mm. you know, try to give them a, that perspective broadening advice. And so, um, so I think it's a really important lesson here about how to get support and be better supporters, supporters of others. This is really interesting. I'm just going to ask you a question in regards to like your relationship with your spouse. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. Craig and I will often have conversations because you know how like you hear, I don't know, I don't even know why I'm saying they say, but like, you know, when men are listening to women, I don't even know who they is. Like they, they just want you to listen. They don't want a solution. And it's interesting, like when Craig and I will talk, sometimes I'll be talking to him and he's like, so do you just want me to listen or do you actually want a solution? I'm like, no, 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 I want a solution. Like yeah. I actually, I don't want to, like I like to talk to him, but I want to feel better. I want to feel like we can try and resolve it. But sometimes he'll say to me, because I'm a vista very solution, like, you know, what's the problem? Let's work through it. Let's come to a solution. And he'll say to me, I don't want you to, I just, I'm just needing to vent right now. So I think, how can you do this in your personal life? Yeah. Because I think well, that's, because, you know, you're, you're obviously so close to your partner, so close. Like that's probably the one of the people you're closest to. I think, I think, so first of all, I think the extremes on both ends are, mm. are you want to stay away from like mm. just venting versus just giving solutions without establishing an empathic connection and, and, and really hearing and listening to the other person. You want to do both. Um, and I use, a, I use the example in the book of, you know, Captain Kirk and Spock, like Captain Kirk, Star Trek fan. I don't know how many people listening are Star Trek fans. <laughs> Captain Kirk was super emotional, all about heart. Spock, Pointing to Vulcan, he was just about solutions and intelligence. And so you don't want just Kirk or Spock. You want both, right? You want someone who could blend the two. And I think we want to um, honor people's preferences to some extent in the sense that, like, I think asking people what they want can be really helpful. And, and, and you know, so, like, listen. And then after you've listened for a certain amount of time, I say, hey, can I can I provide you with a solution? Are you ready to, are you ready for one? Some people may need to spend more time expressing their emotions than others. There's a lot of variability in this, but one really important point is people have looked for gender differences in how this whole formula for, for getting good chatter support and advice works. And they haven't largely found them in the sense that um, these are these are stereotypes that women are just emotional and men are just solution focused. Like if you look at the data, all of us are humans and we all have two needs, social needs and cognitive needs, emotional stuff, but then solution stuff. 
women have that and so do men. And so I think, you know, maybe it involves bringing a little bit more of the solution stuff to women and bringing a little bit more of the emotion stuff to men, but we do want to figure out ways of balancing that. And I definitely do this. I do this with my wife. I do this with my, my two daughters. I will, I will very deliberately seek out these kinds of support and provide it to them as well. So, um, so I think, yeah, I mean, you wanted, you wanted to go personal. So, um, so I certainly, no, that's, no, that's good. That's really good. Cause often I think, I think about it, you know, like just in the conversations that we have, mm-hmm. um, and maybe just to finish off, uh, I'm just trying to bring it back to say the women in our program, like <clears throat> if a woman was sitting there and, you know, um, she was doing something and getting totally overwhelmed and the voices are just, you know, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't do this. I'm never going to be able to do it. You know, I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to keep trying. Like what would you say to her to do in that moment? What would be the action steps to get her out of, stop the chatter. (laughs) Oh, I've just lost your sound. I think you've just turned your mood on accident. I don't know. Yeah. So what I would tell her, um, I tell her two things. The first is that there are no single tools, like individual tools that are guaranteed to work for all people in all situations. In my book, I talk about like 26 different tools. And I think the challenge is to figure out what are the specific combinations of chatter fighting tools that work best for you in the particular situations you find yourselves in. So there are like four or five tools that I would personally use in that situation. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what they are in a second, but the tools that I would use, they're a little bit different from what my wife would do. And so I think there really is a challenge here for us all to figure out what are the combinations of tools that work best for us? Um, I've been doing research in this space for a long time. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about magic pills that exist. I've yet to find one. And, and so I think we should all be weary about the idea that there are these single cure-alls. Instead, I think the fact that we have evolved to possess so many different tools, like that's for a reason, because using the different tools can help us in slightly different ways. So what would I do though, if I was this person in this situation struggling, I'd use distant self-talk to try to coach myself through the situation. Like I would a best friend using my own name. I would, um, if it was a problem I was really upset about, like something that just happened that was interfering with my goals, I would do something called temporal distancing that I talk about in the book or mental time travel. I think about how I'm going to feel a month from now when this experience ends that oftentimes if it's an acute stressor that you're dealing with, um, like a rejection, one of the things we know is that time tends to heal those wounds. And so if you remind yourself of that, which is often hard to do in the moment. But if you think, how am I going to feel a month from now or two months from now? That makes you realize, oh, I usually start feeling better. That gives us hope, which can help suppress those voices. I'd find my chatter advisors to talk to, and I would seek out their support. I would go for walks in green spaces. We know that natural green space exposure, free and really useful tool, helps replenish our replenish our attention, which is often drained when we spend so much time worrying about what's bothering us. Um, nature also provides us with opportunities to experience awe, the emotion of, of awe, which is something we experience when we're, when we're in the presence of something vast that we have trouble explaining. When we experience awe, 
we know that that shrinks our concerns. We feel smaller when we're contemplating something monumental. So I go for walks in nature. Um, I'd also probably do some rituals with my family um, because I know that those help me as well. So distance self-talk, temporal distancing, chatter advisors, nature, and rituals. That's five different tools, five of 26. And, and you know, there are lots of other ones that you could avail yourselves of. Um, but that's what I would do. And if those tools didn't serve me well, I would, I would cycle through and try some other ones as well. Actually, one more thing, sorry, because you just reminded me, which I love about the book, because we encourage women to try and get out at least once a day, go for a walk in the sun. We encourage them to get out into nature as well um, and do some sort of low intensity movement, whatever it is that they like. Can you talk about that and why that's so beneficial? Because that's, I love that about the book too. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, Yeah, no worries. (laughs) There's so many things to talk about. so, you know, green space exposure, um, and what I mean by that is going for a walk in a, in a safe park. I say safe because I always feel the need to attach a caveat because where, where I grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, the parks were actually where, where, where usually like where you went if you wanted to get mugged. So, and if it, it, you know, if your guard is up for either human or other predators, you know, you're not going to reap these benefits, but you know, you're talking about a a nice park or garden or tree lined streets, or even watching like a video of nature. Um, Experiments have been done with, with videos as well. Nature can help us in two ways. The first thing that it can do is it gives us a mental break, an opportunity to replenish our attention, which is often drained when we're experiencing chatter. So, Lots of experiments and studies show that when you're experiencing chatter, it consumes all all you can think about is what's driving you nuts. And that's in part why chatter can be so harmful when it comes to our ability to think and perform well at work, because all of our attention is devoted to the chatter. Nothing is left over to do things we need and want to do. When you're in a green space, what ends up happening is our attention is gradually taken away from the chatter and it drifts onto the beautiful landscapes. It's just gently, gently consumed by the, 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 you know, I'm looking at a beautiful uh, pink tree now that's in bloom and and the shrubs. And and we kind of get fascinated by those landscapes in ways that give us a bit of a break. And so by the end of the walk, your attention is restored, which gives you the opportunity to then refocus on your work or if the chatter is still there to try to manage the chatter using your mind in a way that you didn't have resources to do so before. So that's one way nature can help. The other way is it can provide you with opportunities to experience awe, which is this emotion that we experience when we're in the presence of something uh, vast that we have trouble explaining. So like you you stare off at a great, amazing view or like, like a picture perfect sunset or, um, you know, you look up at a tree that's been there for decades or hundreds of years. My God, like how has this tree been alive through all these viruses and storms? Those are, those are triggers for many people. You can get off from other places too, right? You could get it from looking at a great piece of art or recently I experienced it when I watched the Mars Rover land. Like how do we figure out how to blast a SUV onto another planet that filled me with awe? Nature's, uh, nature is, is filled with these awe triggers and that we know when people feel awe, that leads to what we call shrinking of the self. We feel smaller and so do our own concerns 
when we experience awe. So, so, so nature can help us in a few different ways when it comes to our chatter. And it's, you know, it's a free, freely available tool. And um, it also has some, it, it can often have some other benefits as well, cardiovascular exercise as well. So it, it really is like a, this, a kind of hidden in plain sight way of helping yourself. Oh, Ethan, thank you so much for coming on. That was so brilliant. And I encourage everyone to buy um, Ethan's book, Chatter. I'm going to pop a link um, down below to his website and which talks about his book. I just absolutely loved it. And I think that every well, person, but women, because we particularly deal with women, I think it's just such a valuable tool. And I think once you can nail this and sort of, I guess, the mindset part of it, the nutrition and the training becomes so much easier. Um, well, it's yeah. very, very kind of you to say that, Kitty. And um um, and thank you for having me on. It's been, been a delight to chat. So, so yeah, I encourage everyone to check out the book and I hope they find it useful. Thanks so much, Ethan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.